Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. If you have your binder, um, everybody got an If you know me, if you've ever done anything with me, you know that I'm Mr. Binder. I give you a binder for everything. Um, and in this binder, if you kind of go past the stuff about where you're staying and what you're doing, uh, you're going to see this thing that says Refuel Abs, and it's going to say Part 1, Why I Love the Church. We're going to be talking about tonight, just for a little bit, and, and we take breaks. I'm, I'm a big, like, proponent of everybody has to go to the bathroom, okay? So um, we're going to take breaks. We're going to do some stretching exercises. No. Um, we're going to take some breaks. But we're going to be talking about the church. So what is, when we talk about church, everybody has a different idea, right? Some people think of, you remember when um, you were a kid, did you ever sing the song, this is the church and this is the Nobody knew this one? Steeple. Open the doors and see all the people. Here is the choir going up the stairs, and here is the preacher saying his prayers. Remember that song? That'll do a good job saying it. Um, so, what is, is church a building? Is church, what is church? We're going to talk about that a little bit. But first, I want you to think about this. Um, by the way, every, every table has, I'm going to steal the Jimmer one, uh, every table has a whiteboard and, um, a, and a dry erase marker, and, um, and what we're going to be doing is every once in a while I'm going to have a question, and at your table you've got to talk about the question and come up with an answer. And I'll give you like 30 seconds to come up with an answer, and then we're going to compare our answers, okay? So we're going to go through, we're going we're gonna to ask some questions and answer some questions, but first I want to start with this. You know, why in the world... Why in the world do we, like, gather together? Why do we have a church? Why would we, I mean, why do people get out of bed on Sunday morning when they could sleep in? Sleeping in is fun. Why do people go to church? So I'll give you just, this is, these are mine, but it's also kind of scriptural, biblical. Um, Fourteen reasons why I love the church. Um, the church is being built by Jesus. Um, if Jesus made something, is it a good thing? Yeah. Um, Jesus said, I will build my church. So Jesus is actually building his church. He doesn't build buildings. He builds people. Another reason I love the church is because the church is indestructible. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Um, the church has seen some pretty, like, bad times. Um, there was a guy, you ever heard of a guy named Nero? Uh, he was a Roman emperor and he, he would light, light Christians on fire to, like, provide light for his gardens. That's how much he hated Christians, and he wanted to destroy the church. And guess what? He failed, because we're here. Um, church is a place of mutual encouragement. Sometimes I have a really bad day. I've got scripture references for these, too, um, if you look at your, your notebooks. But sometimes I have a really bad day, and I walk into church, and there's Avery, and we talk about how terrible the Steelers are, and it just makes me feel so much better. Um, it's so much better to talk about how Ben Roethlisberger is a terrible quarterback. Um, <laughs> I'm just joking. Uh, but, but yeah, when, I, when it's Wednesday, I look forward to seeing you guys. You guys pump me up. So church is a place of mutual encouragement. Um, church is also um, loved by Jesus. Um, we're compared, the church is compared to the bride of Christ. So if you tell, if you tell someone his bride is ugly, what do you think he's going to do? Probably going to sock you in the face, isn't he? So the church is the bride of Christ. Jesus loves it. Um, there's a special role for me, and when I say me, I mean like me and you and you and you and you and you and you to play in the church. Like there's something you can do. We have so many things at the church that you can do. 
If you like music, you can do music at the church. If you like tech stuff, you can do tech stuff at the church. There's a role for everybody at the church. So that's another reason that I love the church. Um, The church is full of generous people. Um, Some of you, if you're in the group that's going to LifeBridge tomorrow, raise your hand. Um, You're going to LifeBridge. You guys are going to get to learn about something our church doesn't not many people know about. Every Monday, our church provides food and clothes and the gospel for lots and lots of people, over thousands of people a year who are in need. So the church is full of generous people. When I was in college and I come in for a visit, um, people give me a green handshake. You ever had a green handshake? It's when they shake your hand and they've got like a $20 bill in it to give to you. Because they knew I was a college student, didn't have that much money. They, took, they, they helped take care of me. Church is full of generous people. Um, the church is a place where powerful prayer happens. Um, there is this prayer meeting um, in the early church, and it says that when... Um, they were done meeting, their house shook. Um, so church is a place where powerful prayer happens. Sometimes we just get together and pray together. Um, the church is a family. We're going to talk about this one. Some of you guys already have already heard about this, but we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, some of you guys came up with the name, you know, abbreviation for brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ. Brother in Christ is like if you're a brother in Christ, you're a bick, and if you're a sister in Christ, you're a sick. And you guys talk about your bicks and sicks, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, so we do kind of form a family, so it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, church is God's plan for making himself known through the world. Um, there's no plan B. God wants to use us to reach the world. Kind of a big deal. Um, the church is a place where racial and social barriers are destroyed. Um, you may be different when you're outside the church, but we're all the same. We're all in Christ here. So that's like a lot different than anywhere else you go, right? Um, so that's one of my favorites. Um, the church was bought and paid for by Jesus' blood. <laughs> you think Jesus loves the church? He bought and paid for the church. Um, another one, the church is a place of restoration. Um, if you were to kind of go around and ask, not that we should do this, if you were to go around and ask each person in here, have you always done the right thing? You get a lot of no's. Um, yeah, people in this room, people in our church don't have like the best past. Some of us don't. Um, but guess what? We, we're part of a place. We're part of people who, when somebody's down, we don't kick the person while they're down. We restore them. Um, so that's, that's good for someone like me who needed restoration. Uh, the church lives in unity. Um, We're close. We stay close together. And then the final one, um, the church helps believers grow in their faith. Um, I've learned so much about God by being a part of this church. I've been part of this church, Lewis and Baptist Church. Moved here into Huntington, West Virginia, and joined this church when I was five years old. When I was five years old. And now I am 32 years old. You get to a certain point and you just don't remember. I'm 32 years old. So um, I've been part of this church for 27 years. And I've, just about everything I've learned outside of my personal reading, Bible reading time, I've learned about God. I've learned it in this church. So there's some good reasons why, that, why we should love the church. But this is the first question I want to ask you. This is our first whiteboard session. You've got to talk and come up with one answer. Why do you love the church? I'm going to give you 30 seconds to talk about an answer, and then we're going to see what you got. All right, time's up. Um, so take whoever you know, needs somebody to hold on to that sign so I can go around and look. Um, we have two. That's okay. We'll take that. It's encouraging, and it helps growth. Insert name here. Godly Fellowship. Short People Pro... Oh, that's your name. Okay. <laughs> I thought you loved church because of the short people. Um, people Coming Together. 
Um, uh, you've already come up with team names. I love this. Um, worship and learn about Jesus. Je- not, not cheese. Jesus. <laughs> learn about cheese. Um, worship and learn about Jesus with the Bix and Six, brothers and sisters in Christ. What we have over here? Um, a community. We're a loving I'm glad that you thought to add loving, like it was like an afterthought, but that's good that you put it in there. A loving community of believers, it encourages us, and it's the house of Jesus, surrounded by good people who help draw me closer to God, talking about Jesus in an uplifting atmosphere, helps with anxiety and not so angry about my brother. Um, I understand you on that one. Um, Jesus prayed for it. That's a good reason. Um, It prepares me to witness to others. God told us to come. Um, we learn about God there. Us love church. I like that. That's artistic. We get closer to Christ and talk about God because we can pray together. People are kind to each other. So you all have some good answers. Give yourself like a little pat on the back. Um, you came up with some good answers. Um, so we're going to... Oh, I'm sorry, Jimmers. I am sorry. Uh, how could I forget you guys? You're like right in front of me. It's another family and it's a safe place. And I know that to be true. It's a safe place for me. Um, got a question for you. Just shout out some answers. This isn't a whiteboard question. What is the church? The body of Christ, okay. It's a local body. Okay, Tim Yates. Um, Avery. A communion of followers of Christ. Anybody else want to just take a stab at it? What is a church? God's house? Anybody else want to venture a guess? I mean, not that anybody's guessed wrong. I'm just saying, you want to add something? People? Okay, that's pretty good. Well, I forgot that you were looking at the screens. Okay, so there are two things that we're going to learn about the church tonight. Because everybody's kind of got a different idea about what a church is. Well, let's just see what the Bible, you know, sometimes it's best just to see what the Bible says, right? Um, we're going to learn about two P words, because if you know me, I've got to come up with P words or D words or S words or something. So we got a couple of P words. The church is two things. The church is people, and the church is purpose. You have to have people with a purpose. The church is people with a purpose. So what kind of people make up the church? Um, you know me, I like different, I, I like pictures, and you're going to see some interesting pictures. Um, church is a certain kind of people. It's not just any kind of people. It's what we call called out people. And here's, here's real technical, like, geeky stuff. In the Bible, every time you see the word church, um, it's derived from this Greek word called ekklesia. So see, if, you, if you're around me for a while, you're going to learn some Greek words and you're going to feel really smart. So look to the person next to you and say ekklesia. Okay? Um, ekklesia is a compound word. My little girl Addison's learning about compound words in school, and she has this little exercise. Um, what she does is she holds up two fists, and, she, and when she talks about compound words, um, like she'll say, tight rope, compound word, you know? So, so I'd come up with some really weird ones for her and drive her crazy, um, but she goes, you know, you know all kind, jump rope, tight rope. You know, compound word, you know. So, ecclesia is a compound word. You've got ecclesia, compound word. What it means is called out people. So, church is a group of people who have been called out. Well, called out of what, right? Well, been called out of sin, 
been called out of death, um, been called out of depression, been called out of shame. We are people who have been rescued by God. So the church is people who are called out people. Um, that leads us to the next thing. The church is people who are saved people. Um, who are saved people. If you look at, uh, well, you don't have your Bible maybe necessarily with you, but um, you can read it out of your notes. It says in Corinthians uh, 1-2, to the church of Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. So the church is specifically people who are saved. Now, if somebody enters our church, like a church meeting, a worship service who's unsaved, should we have like big, our big security guys stand at the door and be like, can't come in, you're not saved. Would that be a good idea? Since the church has only saved people, why not? Why is that not a good idea? Yeah, so people can hear the good news about Jesus and be saved, right? The purpose of us saying church has saved people doesn't mean that unsaved people can't come to church, but what it means is when we gather together, we gather together for a reason, that Jesus has saved us, right? The church is real people. I put a Barbie up because Barbies are fake. You're too young to remember that there was a song about Barbie girls uh, back in the day. Jeff probably remembers and Kate Rhea. I'm a Barbie girl, yeah, in a Barbie world. Imagination, a new creation. Okay, so um, I'm going to stop with it right there. But, um, you know, unfortunately, um, we got this idea that the church is a building, and we say, I go to church. Maybe a better way to say it would be, I meet with church. Now, we're real people. Um, we, don't, um, we don't try to pretend to be something we're not. Um, but what's interesting here is that if you look at, remember the word, the compound, I feel like a cheerleader. Compound word, ecclesia, when it's used in the New Testament, it's always used about like a certain group of people who were believers. Well, sometimes we talk about the church, and we talk about this idea that there's this like universal church, um, and every believer in the world is part of this universal church, and that's kind of true, um, but we're not going to see that universal church come together until Jesus raptures us all to be in his presence. So if you look in the Bible, every time the word ecclesia for church is used, it's used about like specific people. It'll say, to the church at Corinth. Or it'll say to the church at to the church in Rome. Every time it talks about a church, it's talking about specific people. So um, it's talking about local groups of people. Um, you can't watch your favorite like um, podcast pastor on a podcast and say I'm part of the church. Well, no, you're not. Next time you get sick, see if that guy will come visit you in the hospital. He probably won't. But if you get sick and you're in the hospital, you know who will visit you? Pastor Lemming. Ecclesia talks about local bodies, local assemblies of believers. So it talks about real people. Um, churches also organize people. I was never good at this. I was never good at science. But what I do know, I, you know, I remember having to, in Mr. Page's science class at Grace, uh, memorize the different parts of a cell. You remember? Anybody, anybody could just like rattle them off right now without looking at the screen. If you have good enough eyesight to be able to read that, you're, you're doing well. But the cell has all sorts of different functions, right? But what would happen if the nucleus tried to do what the ribosomes do? And the Golgi body tried to do what the mitochondria did? See, some of you, some of you guys will know a lot better at what I, you know, be able to pronounce stuff better. You know. But here, here's the point. Even in something as organic as a cell, 
there's organization. What would happen if every cell of your body just decided to do whatever it wanted? You'd probably turn into some, like, primordial ooze right here. You know, I'd have to, like, vacuum you out of the seats, right? That'd be very disgusting um, because there's structure, and God gives us structure um, for the church. Uh, so the church are organized people. Um, there are two kind of leaders in the church that we see, um, and the first are pastors. Um, sometimes they're referred to as pastors, bishops, or elders. Um, how many of y'all know at least one of the pastors at Lewis Memorial? If you know me, you can raise your hand because I'm, I'm one of them. Um, <laughs> so, um, so, so God gives us pastors, and if you look at, um, if you look, what do you, what are the, I'm curious, I want to hear about this because I'd like to know what my job description is. Um, what are, what are pastors supposed to do? Okay. Okay, encourage people. I'll take that. What are pastors supposed to do? Preach. <laughs> okay, yeah, pastors generally preach too. Um, what's that? Reach out. Um, yeah, I run into some people that either have one or two approaches, like when I tell them I'm a pastor. The first is they're like, oh, that must be nice working two days a week. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you should come get ready for D-Now with me. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, some people think pastors don't do anything. And then there's some people that think pastors do everything. And they, yeah, I'll have people come up to me and say, hey, Matt, I've got a friend who's not saved. Do you think you could share the gospel with him? Or they'll say, hey, Matt, you know, I'm really praying for my, you know, my sister. You know, she needs to get saved, and I'm trying to get her to come to church so she can maybe, like, come to youth group and hear you and maybe get saved. Um, and then I say, well, have you shared the gospel with her? Well, no. You're the pastor, though, so you can do that. Um, that's really not the goal um, for pastors. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says this. It says, God gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, so the pastors, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So did you know that sitting around these tables, I think there's 54 of you today, uh, sitting around these tables are 54 different ministers um, so, so you know, 54 different ministers, because what the job of the pastor is to do is to equip you, is to give you all the tools you need to go be, Drew, a good minister of the gospel, and Joshua to be a good minister of the gospel. So what pastors are there to do is pastors are to shepherd and equip. Um, what, 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 do you, what do you think would happen if Lewis Memorial... You know, I think we have like some, something crazy, like 1,600 people on our membership roster. What would happen if all 1,600 people said, you know what, when I, on Monday morning when I get up, today I'm a minister. And when I go work, I'm a minister. And when I, work at my, when I go to school, I'm a minister. You don't have to put a funny little like, like, like shirt on with like a white collar to be a minister. You don't have to have a robe on. You don't have to always have your Bible tucked under your arm may do some of you some good, but, but, but you are ministers, and, and the job of the pastors is to equip you and give you the knowledge and give you the motivation you need to be ministers. Um, so, if you look at the qualifications of a pastor, man, it's, it's, it's not necessarily easy. Um, in Titus, it says, um, at the bottom of page five here, it says, um, the overseer or the pastor must be above reproach, faithful to his wife's, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well, see that his children obey him. Um, 
He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the judgment of the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he won't fall into disgrace and fall into the devil's trap. Whew. That's quite a job description. All right. Um, so here's the next little question. I'm going to give you just a couple seconds to, to figure this one out. Why does God expect so much of pastors? What do you think? Why is that? Go. All right. Let's see some answers. Hold them up loud and proud. I'll start on this side over here. I'll start with the Jimerson side. I didn't get them last time. He chose them to share his word. Okay, that's good. Because um, pastors have many duties in the church. You said duty. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, they're teaching others to live from maybe a different perspective. Jesus loves oh, Jesus loves so they can preach the gospel more to make more disciples. Um, because God chose them. You, 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 okay, I like the illustration there of the choosing of pastors because they equip us, right? If, if you know, they need to be where they need, okay, um, because per, pastors need to be loyal to God. They're meant to lead. They're chosen by God. They made a commitment to the church. We look up to them to be led by to lead by example to the church body. You have really good fancy handwriting, whoever wrote that, um, because they're the face of the church and have a really close connection to God. Um, they present Christ. They represent Christ, the responsibility. They are leaders to be better influences because they're the role model, right? So, um, so it's kind of like a big role, big responsibility. Um, the next thing that we learn about church being organized people, there's another office, um, and it's the office of the deacon. What's the verb for deacon? Do deacons deke? Like, I don't know. I just always thought that was funny. Um, so what, what, what's the purpose of deacons? Um, well, it, it started in Acts chapter 6. Um, the church was growing, like by leaps and bounds. And there were a lot of widows in the church who needed to be served and taken care of. And the pastors were trying to prepare sermons, and also take care of these widows. And there were so many widows that the pastors weren't able to t take care of the widows and to prepare sermons, read the Bible, be creatures of the Word. So they decided, you know what we'll do? We'll find people who are godly, people who are respectable, and we will commission them to be people who serve others in the church. And here comes deacons. And what's interesting here is that um, deacons... Um, have the same qualifications, if you look at the next page, uh, page 7, the, ne the same qualifications as pastors, um, only the one thing was missing between deacons and pastors, and it's they must be able to teach. So deacons don't have to be able to teach. Um, you don't have to teach to deek. Um, so, so we have these two um, kind of leadership roles that organize the church and that provide some like organization for the church. Um, and here's, an, here's the final one, what kind of people. Um, multi-generational people. Um, if you look at the Bible, and this is really interesting, in the Bible, there's all kinds of like references to the fact that there should be people of all different ages in the church. I remember when I was like a kid, like the old people, since I was like one of the pastor kids at the church, they thought that like I was their responsibility to raise, to discipline, to spank. It was really weird, okay? Um, so, like, I kind of had a bad attitude about a lot of the old people for a little while. Um, but that has changed now. Um, so, but let me ask you this question. This will be an interesting one. I'm excited to hear the responses. Here's how I'm going to say it. Why does the church need old people? 
You're teenagers. We understand that you're needed. Why do you think the church needs old people? Talk about it for a couple seconds. All right. Wisdom. We need old people for their wisdom. To be role models. That's good so we can follow their example. Oh, I, that's a really good illustration. We need to, like, take a picture of that one. Hold on. I'm going to hold this up. Old people have wisdom. Get out of my lawn, smart stuff, and a little whippersnapper. Okay, I like it. <laughs> what do you have, Kurt? Because they've learned, because they've learned more. Yeah, they may have learned more. Um, to keep Satan out, to keep Jesus. Oh, oh, oh okay. <laughs> we have old people to keep Satan out. Get off my lawn, Satan. Um, because they have wisdom and experience. Um, old people have wisdom from years of a Christian life because they're wise, um, because they have impact, they're experienced, knowledge, wisdom, experience, I'm picking up a theme here, um, young people need experienced mentors, that's good, to mentor the teenagers of the church, um, to give, to give wisdom and experience, um, to help, to help us, because of their experience, wisdom, and guidance. Um, they have wisdom and experience. Wisdom and experience. Okay, so we're picking up a theme here, right? Um, the older people have wisdom and experience that, like, obviously, like, sometimes we just decide we want to learn stuff from the School of Hard Knocks, um, but we'd probably be pretty smart to listen to some of these older people. I'm just saying. If you look at some of the verses that have to do with older and younger people, 1 Timothy says, don't look, talking to young Christians, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for believers in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. We talked about that all last fall, remember? Um, it talks about how we're supposed to treat older people in 1 Timothy 5.1. It says, don't rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with absolute purity. So, um, and then um, in 2 Timothy 2.2, it's talking to older people. It says, all the things you've heard from me, entrust to reliable people. So we kind of have this idea that um, people who are older kind of have the responsibility to reach down to the next generation and mentor them. And people that are younger have the responsibility to reach up and actually be teachable and be like, I'm not going to listen to anything you have to say. Um, but to actually be teachable. So we need older people. We need younger people. We need people somewhere there in between. Um, what's amazing is, to, and you're going to see this uh, on Sunday morning when you go to church with us at 1045, you're going to see like, it's like, if you look across the auditorium, you're going to see like gray heads, bald heads, um, and then you're going to see like, you know, 30-year-old wannabe hipsters with beards like me. Um, you're going to see all kinds of ages of people. Um, and that's what's so incredible about churches is that you have people from all stages of life. So the church is multicultural. What's the purpose of the church? Um, we gather, right? It's, we're supposed to, Hebrews 10.25 says, don't forsake gathering together, but do so all the more as you get closer to when Christ comes. Um, we grow. We um, we grow. How would you like to have this guy's like um, pecs? Man, he's almost, got a, he's almost got as good of a physique as I do, but not quite. Um, not quite. I think I've got him beat. Um, what directions do we grow? Well, if you've been around here for a little while, you know what directions we grow, right? What's the first direction we should grow as a church? Upward. 
as a church, we grow closer to God, and I grow closer to God when I hear, when I go around and I see the responses that you have on your whiteboards. You point me towards God. We point each other towards God. Um, we also grow inward. We grow closer to each other. Um, some of you, I remember like the first time I met you, and I didn't really like you very much. Um, I didn't like you very much, but I like you now. Um, some of you I even love. Actually, I love you all. But yeah, like I, Avery, I remember your first time in youth group. You wanted April to go get you another slice of pizza. And April said, you can get your own pizza because you're not in the kids' ministry anymore. You get your own food. Yeah. But, um, but now Avery is a junior, and I love the man. Even though he's a Steelers fan, I look past that, and I love him. Um, so we grow closer together. Um, sometimes we get on each other's nerves, but we grow closer together. And then we also grow outward. <laughs> our, our, well, let's not talk about the first time we all met each other, because April hated me when she met me too. That's no joke. She was talking about that earlier tonight. She thought I was stuck up. Can you believe that? Anyway, our, uh, we grow outward. We grow outward. Um, what's the mission? This is going to sound like a Tim Yates question. Well, we're, we're going to save that. But we grow outward. Um, our, our mission is to make disciples. It's the Great Commission. Um, Tim Yates likes to preach about this every time he preaches on Sunday morning, doesn't he? Matthew 28. Um, the Great Commission says, Go make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all I've commanded you. So that's our mission. Um, there's no plan B. Um, it's absolutely critical that we make disciples of Jesus. So um, we're going to go to this question. How can our church... I want you to come up with an idea. I'm going to give you 30 seconds on this one. How can our church, Lewis and World Baptist Church, refuel students, how can our church reach more people with the gospel of Jesus? How can we do more outward reaching? Okay, 30 seconds starting now. All right, what you got? What you got? We're going to start back here all the way in the corner. Brian, what you got? Renovate youth stages. <laughs> Spread the word. <laughs> okay, um, more outreach projects, okay? We need to do more that's focused on reaching people. S smile more. Um, we got people still riding, still riding. Find people at the top and get their people. I like it. Show love by actions. We, hey, we can align ourselves with God's will. That's a good idea. Um, actually applying what we learn in church which is very similar to this over here. Stop being afraid and do it! <laughs> right? Um, mission trips, Goodwill, Good News Clubs, and pastors. Um, reach out to more areas of Huntington. Helping smaller churches bring cat... Is it cat food? What? Hand out food. Okay. <laughs> I was trying to figure out how cat food would work. That's good. Um, not be afraid. Yeah, don't have a spirit of fear. Here's, okay, you guys have so much going on here. Um, here's the, okay, the answer section. Um, give God access to every part of our life um, by spreading the word of God. More ministry projects. Drop Bibles out of planes. Ben Bragg. Okay, um, I, I, I like that. I like that. Did I get everybody over here? Did you go? Okay. Oh, you're using paper now. Okay. Um, oh, using teens in their everyday environment and this is a crazy idea. Go to where they are. Don't expect them to come to us. We go to them. So, hey, remember I told you there would be a break involved? I want to give you guys a three-minute break. 
If you need to go to the bathroom, go to the bathroom. If you need to stand up, do jumping jacks, do jumping jacks. Go all out for the next three minutes. So we're almost, we're almost done with our first little session here, um, part one. So um, we're going to kind of move to a more serious part of our, of our like, teaching, and we're going to talk about two things. The church has, um, we call them ordinances, two things that Jesus commanded us to do as a church. Um, these are two things we try not to get wrong, um, and we try to do them frequently. Um, so we're back to the, the, the purpose of the church. Um, what is the church, and what is the purpose of the church? Um, guys, please don't play with your cups. Please don't play with your cups. What is the purpose of the church? Um, we baptize. Um, I'm not going to go around and say, have you been baptized? Have you been baptized? Have you been baptized? But one of the very important parts of being, of being part of this like, local church is, is being baptized. And why do you think it's so, like, I'm like, why is it so important um, to be baptized? Well, the first reason, um, I think, is because Jesus commanded it. Um, he said, repent and be baptized. Um, and, you know, baptism is a way that we express publicly our faith in God. Um, and can you imagine if um, I asked April to marry me, and she said yes, and then I said, but here's the thing. I don't want to have, like, a marriage ceremony. Um, I just want to try to, like, fill out some papers. I really don't want a bunch of people to know that we got married um, because, yeah, I really don't like getting in front of people. And, you know, you're important to me, um, but you're definitely not important enough to me um, for me to embarrass myself and putting on a tux. Um, so if we could maybe just not have a ceremony, but we could, like, just consider ourselves married, like, that would be great. What do you think April would say to me? Probably better. Than, what do you think she would do to me? Do you think there would be like a finger marks on my face, not from the front of her hand, but from the back of her hand? Probably it'd be one of these, right? You know, like like um, so. So when we think about just like a ceremony is to marriage, um, similarly, baptism is to our faith in Jesus. Baptism is a way for us to publicly say, "I believe in Jesus," and I want everybody to know it. Um, it's also interesting that this, you know, the, according to the Bible, it says that baptism is the way that we join with his church. It says in Romans 6, 34, um, as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, we were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried through him, through baptism together, just as Christ was. Um, in Corinthians, it says that there's one baptism by one spirit um, and that we're baptized into one church. So baptism is important um, for people who believe in Jesus, and it's for people who believe in Jesus. Uh, I know there's a lot of different people, and this is kind of a, maybe we could say a divisive issue. Um, is it okay to just be baptized when you're like a baby, and then at some point you believe in Jesus? And then, well, I was baptized when I was a baby. That's cool. Um, but baptism is specifically reserved for people who they've believed in Jesus and then they're baptized. Um, when it's divisive like this, here's what I do. I just say, okay, what does the Bible say? And I'll just go with that. So I put down here uh, five different verses in the book of Acts when the church began. And what you see here is every time baptism is mentioned, I looked up every time baptism was mentioned in the Bible, it's these times. Every time baptism is mentioned, it occurs right after someone believed in Jesus. Don't believe me? Look at Acts 2. It says, um, it says those who accepted his message, Peter's message, were baptized. So they accepted his message, and then they were baptized. Um, in Acts 8.12, it says, when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God, they were baptized. So they believed, and then they were baptized. You can go down, 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 down. You see belief, baptism. That's the order that the Bible gives us. We believe in Jesus, 
and we're baptized in Jesus. Baptism, of course, doesn't save us. Um, the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. But baptism is the first step of obedience that says, hey, I believe in Jesus. So the question I want you to think about, this is not one that, <laughs> this is not, I'm not going to play music. I, you don't have to discuss it. Um, don't write it on the whiteboard. I just want you to think about it. Um, were you baptized after you believed in Jesus? Think about through your life what, you, you don't have to write this, you know, don't, this isn't for us to discuss and for, put anybody on the spot. But was there a point in your life where you believed in Jesus and you said, yes, I believe in Jesus. Maybe you prayed a prayer, maybe it was a decision you made in your heart that you just cemented. I believe that Jesus is how I'm going to get to heaven. Is it possible that maybe, and I've, I, I've known several people that have done this, that you got your baptism in the wrong order? your salvation and your baptism in the wrong order? Um, were you baptized after you believed in Jesus? Um, I just want to encourage you, if you have never been baptized, um, talk to me, talk to April, talk to one of the leaders. Um, we would love to set up a time where you could be baptized. Um, we, every Sunday, the baptism, our, bapt, our baptistry is ready at church. If you want to be baptized this Sunday, one of the youth groups in church, so you can be baptized in front of your youth group friends. We'll baptize you. Um, if you want me to baptize you, I'll baptize you. So seriously, this weekend, talk to one of us. We'd love to baptize you this weekend. If that's something you'd want to do, we can talk to your parents, make sure it's kosher, make sure it's okay with your parents, and, and we'll baptize you this weekend. Um, it's a step of obedience to Jesus. So I just want you to think about that. Were you baptized after you believed in Jesus? That's the first ordinance of the church, um, that, that you're baptized into the church. Um, so... We have baptism, and then the other um, ordinance of the church um, is what we call the Lord's Supper. The ch one of the purposes that we meet together as a church is that we remember. What do we remember? We remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. Um, it's, it's called all kinds of different things by, by different people. Um, sometimes it's called communion. Um, sometimes it's called the Lord's Supper. Um, but we get this object lesson, you know, the, what we call the ordinances, they're Jesus' object lessons. Jesus says be baptized to represent that you were dead in your sins and you were raised with Christ. Um, the, the Lord's Supper is a picture, it's an object lesson that Jesus gives us too. And the object lesson is very, it, it, he comes up with the best object lessons. Um, he says that the bread represents his body that was broken for us. And I know, you know, because, you know, when we have communion in church, um, we have these little, like, I wonder how they make those communion crackers. They're like, how do we engineer a tasteless cracker? <laughs> you know, how do we how do we make it pre-staled crackers? Like, how do we do that? Like, but they do it, don't they? Um, yeah, but but it's it's a lot more convenient in our in our church to be able to use the crackers. But Jesus, um, when he was with his disciples, took not a loaf of French bread, but um, it was a it was a loaf of unleavened bread, um, and he broke it. And he broke off. Imagine as Jesus was breaking off pieces of that bread, it was meant to represent the fact that pieces, literal pieces of his body, would be broken off as he made a sacrifice for us. So this is Jesus' object lesson. When we eat the bread, it's, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Then Jesus took a cup. Um, one interesting thing about when Jesus was his disciples, they lived during a time when people would share cups. It was called a common cup. Um, we don't do that in flu season, do we? <laughs> right? A kind of common cup thing kind of went out the door, right? Um, but it says he took the cup and he said, take and drink. 
This is my blood that was shed for you. So he took it and he passed that cup around. And each of his disciples took a drink out of that same cup. And when we see this red grape juice, this red wine, we realize that's Jesus' blood. When Jesus died on the cross, this is what it took. This is what it took to buy my salvation. So we do this every month as a church. We push the pause button on life and we remember what's important, the fact that Jesus died and he shed his blood for us. Um, So what we're going to do tonight to end our time together and to kind of kick off our weekend is we're going to push pause and we're going to remember what Jesus did for us. Um, So why it's going to kind of help me do this, I didn't get cups to leaders. So leaders, if you want to come up and get a cup, um, what we're going to do I may regret this. You know, if you know me, you know I like to do things different. Um, we're going to try to do a more traditional Lord's Supper in the fact that we are going to eat of the same bread and we're going to, in a way, drink of the same cup. Um, so actually, um, maybe John, if you can help me too to serve this um, and come up here. And Andy, if you could help me. And uh, um, David, if you could help me too. Um, Wyatt and Andy are going to pass out the bread, and David and, uh, yeah, and David and John are going to pass out the drinks, and they're going to fill your cup, or not fill your cup, but they're going to give you a, a, little, a little swig in your cup, and um, you're going to get a piece of bread. And here's what I want, as, as they're doing this, I want you to think about this one thing. It's one piece of bread. You're drinking from one cup. What's interesting In 1 Corinthians, it talks about how this is something that we do that should unite us. Because some of us in here make more money, or your parents make more money than others. Um, Some of you at school are more popular than others. Um, Some of you have had a good week this week, and some of you have had a bad week this week. Some of you have experienced some really terrible, abusive things in your life, and some of you haven't. But there's something that's special about remembering Jesus' death on the cross. Because just like there's one cup, and just like there's one loaf of bread, there's one cross. And the saying is that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There's no one that has extra special access to God. The only access to God you have was earned through Jesus' broken body and the blood that Jesus spilt. So our purpose, our purpose as a church is to remember. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this verse from 1 Corinthians. It's a series of verses. And I want you to think about this. Um, and then when all the elements are passed out, we're going to take this together. So don't you wait, and wait until we can all do it together. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And this is why we remember. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus said those words 2,000 years ago, over 2,000 years ago. And here we are, 
in 2018, 2018, and for thousands, literally thousands of years, Christians over the course of history have pushed pause, remembered what Jesus did, and proclaimed the death and the resurrection of Jesus by our witness. Um, so we all have these elements. Um, we all have the bread, and um, some of us have the cup. John, if you could hook me up when you're done with everybody else. Does everybody, everybody have one? Um, everybody have what they need? Um, so here's what we're going to do. Um, I want you to take your bread, and I want you to hold your bread in your hand, and when, I, when you think about this, think about the fact that this bread was broken, and think about the fact that Jesus' body was broken. Um, the Roman soldiers used a whip called the Cat of Nine Tails. It was a whip that was divided into ten different whips. Each of those whips had broken pieces of glass on, so when the glass entered the person's body, it would grip, and when they pulled the whip back, it would rip out whole pieces of flesh. You wonder how much Jesus loves you? He allowed his body to be broken, his back to be whipped, so that you could be redeemed. So this is what Jesus says. He says, take, eat. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now I want you to take your cup. And as you hold this cup, you have grape juice in, which is meant to represent the blood of Jesus. And the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. The fact that Jesus shed his blood that the ground beneath the cross was just soaked with Jesus' blood, that a spear was put in his side. We think of blood as something that's disgusting, but when we think about the sacrifice that Jesus made, it's beautiful because in this blood is life. So as we drink this, I want you to remember a Savior that loves you enough to shed his own blood for you. The same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Whenever you drink it, Drink it in remembrance of me. In the gospel accounts, it says that after Jesus gave those elements and they remembered or they looked, at that time looked forward to Jesus' death, death, that they sang a hymn together. So we're going to end our first teaching session of D-Now by singing together. Um, so... Take a moment, quiet your heart. This isn't a time to joke around. Um, let's sing out of appreciation for what Jesus has done. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel Podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.